Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is before us together. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this out of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. 
So in this text, Paul actually asks a whole bunch of rhetorical questions. Uh, starting at the top, starting at the beginning of chapter 9 with verse 1, we see a series of four rhetorical questions, and the answer to all of them is yes. Paul is free in the gospel. He is an apostle. He has seen the risen Jesus. He, he has been the one to plant the seed in this church that started this congregation. And even if others don't recognize all of this, the Corinthians know it to be true because they know Paul. He's lived among them. He's worked among them. They interacted with him for months on end. Uh, traditions hold maybe about a year and a half that Paul lived in their community. So they know this about him to be true. He's appealing to this, that they would listen to him in the midst of their divisions. So this continues. We get another one in verse 4. Another rhetorical question. Actually, 5 gives us another, and 6 another, and 7 a couple, few more, uh, again and again and again. So the answers, yeah, they have the right to eat and drink. They have the right to take a wife. I mean, so Cephas gets mentioned here in verse 5. That's Peter, um, another name. So Peter, Petros, is the Greek word for rock. Cephas, if I understand this correctly, is the Aramaic word for rock. Uh, so the same meaning of the name, just a different language. Peter was married. We learn this in, in the gospel account of Matthew. You can find that in chapter 8. That as Jesus is going around and performing his miracles, one of the miracles he performs is healing Peter's mother-in-law. She was sick with a fever, laying in bed, couldn't get up, and Jesus heals her. The fever's gone, she gets up, and she serves Jesus. Good for those who serve the Lord to, to be able to, to be married if they want to be. Paul, obviously from the previous, well, two chapters ago, doesn't have an interest in having a, a wife. But it's okay for others if they would like such. As we look at verse 7, some of those rhetorical questions. People who do the work benefit from the work. A soldier works for another person. He works for, you know, in this instance, the Roman government. He doesn't pay his way. Rome provides his equipment, and Rome pays him so that he can feed his family. The worker in the vineyard who plants the crop, he gets to eat his crop. The one who cares for the flock gets to drink the milk from the flock. Just those examples benefit from the work that they do. And so Paul is going to now apply this to the gospel. He's going to use an Old Testament quote about an ox not muzzling the ox when it treads out the crane. This is... So, verse 8, before we get to that, human authority or God's authority? Paul's not just making a reasonable case. This is God's word. This is God's law um, that he's speaking from. God cares for his creation. The original text of the ox is that God cares for that creature. But at the same time, by caring for that creature, God is also caring for its owner and for his creation. Because if, something, if the ox starves, then the owner is out that animal and the ability to do more labor. So it impacts both. You care for your animal as you're doing the work. <laughs> Not to call pastors animals here, but 
that's the comparison. You care for your worker. A church cares for the worker that's placed in its midst in order that that worker can continue to care for them. This is written for our sake. It comes back up in verse 12. If others have this rightful claim on you, how much more does Paul? So if if other workers are paid by you for their temporal work, for things that aren't lasting, so you think of your business, your career that you have now, and the work that people do for one another, uh, the work that an employee does for their boss and the boss for the manager and, and, and so forth, up to up the chain until you finally get to the owner of the company. All these things are temporal. They don't last. How much more, if, if those things are beneficial, how much more benefit is there to the one who gave you the thing that does last, to the one who gave you the gospel that endures forever? Nevertheless, still verse 12, we have not made use of this right. Paul and Barnabas, not everywhere, but in some of the locations that they work, they, re- they refuse pay. And it's interesting that this happened in Corinth, of all places, with as wealthy as Corinth is, that Paul refused pay among them. And this comes back up, so I don't want it to be an obstacle. This comes up again in verse 15. I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting, which is in the gospel. Paul does not want the people in the Corinthian church looking at him and saying, oh, you're just doing this for the money. You're just doing this for the glory of yourself. You're just doing this uh, because you're power hungry and you want people to look at you. Pastors in the church today hear those kinds of phrases. And yes, there are probably some pastors in the church for whom that is true. That's sad, but pastors are sinners too. And so pray for your pastor that he may boast in Christ alone. But this would take us back to chapter 4. This would take us back to the idea of Paul and everything that he has endured as an apostle of Christ, the beatings and the imprisonment that he's endured in order to share the gospel. If Paul's in this for the money, he's in the wrong business. Verse 16. He can't not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Necessity is laid upon me. That reminded me when I read it here in reflection of Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, where Jeremiah speaks of his, really his inability not to share the prophecies God gives him. Jeremiah was instructed by the Lord to go to the people of Judah, Jerusalem, and warn them against their idolatry that if if they did not cease, they would be destroyed. Jeremiah admitted that even if he wanted to run away from that, even if he tried to not proclaim what God had given him to proclaim, it was burning within him. He couldn't stop. He had to say what God had given him to say. 
And it's very similar here for Paul with the gospel. He has been given this good news of Jesus Christ and told to share it. And he's going to share it. It's a stewardship. It's been entrusted to him. It's been given to him to care for. I think verse 19 through 23, that paragraph is very well known for Paul, um, his words. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Or down near the end of it, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That was verse 22. In order to reach people, Paul got to know people. In order to speak into Jewish culture and to be able to have the gospel heard, he got to know what Jewish culture was about. We see this in the book of Acts as he goes to Athens and he learns about their false idol worship, all kinds of gods, including an unknown God. And Paul takes that as his opportunity, takes it as his foot in the door. He says, let me tell you about this God you don't know. And then his preaching about that God that they didn't know ends up destroying every other God that they thought they knew. And some of them believed it. Some of them came to faith because of that preaching that the Holy Spirit worked in them that day. Lastly, we get a sports analogy. This is probably one because of our particular culture that you can spend some time unpacking with your children. Runners run a race, but only one gets the prize. You run, you run, you run, you run. But come race day, only the winner of the race, only that first one across the finish line gets that trophy. So there's a steadfastness. There's a work ethic. They very, very diligently train again and again and again. If you want to run a marathon, for example, you train for months. If you want to, as so many children have as their goal in life, if you want to become a professional athlete, you work diligently to get to that place. Some of these children's sports leagues are in my opinion, ridiculous, in their demands of our children. Demands that are placed on adults are being placed on kids, and it consumes your entire life. You want to be on this team? You want to actually play? You want to be good enough? Well, you've got to do this, 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 and this. Your life has to look like this. You can't eat this have to spend this much time practicing each and every day. And while on the one hand, I, I, I truly despise that. On the other hand, that's what Paul is using as an analogy here. Athletes train and they train hard and their entire life ends up revolving around their training for whatever their goal was. And then what's his point? They do it to receive a perishable wreath. At that time in history, uh, the Olympics were the most common sport, and the prize, the crown that a winner would receive, was made out of laurel, uh, a plant that would be wound up into a wreath and placed upon the winner's head. What happens to that plant? It withers and dies. In fact, it's already been severed from the, the branch, so it's already dying by the time it's placed on their head. 
their prize is perishing already. But we, we an imperishable, we work, we train, we fight, we, we do all this for an imperishable prize. And this, this is where the conversation can really, really take off with your children. Look at those athletic dreams. Talk about how hard they have to work, how much they're going to have to sacrifice if they really want to get the trophy at the end. And maybe not just the Little League trophy, but the trophy. If it's baseball, if it's you know, the World Series title, I forget what they call the trophy. If it's football, if it's the Lombardi, if it's hockey, the Stanley Cup. Whatever. <laughs> And that trophy doesn't last. It doesn't endure. It fades. In time, it's gone, and memory is forgotten of it. Now, imagine all that effort, all that work, everything in life being shaped around that goal. Imagine taking all of that and taking the goal of a trophy and removing it and sticking in the goal of eternal life, of being in paradise with Jesus. Now talk about that. What does that look like? That's the goal of the analogy that Paul is giving to us. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is spending such diligence in knowing God's word and in sharing God's word with others so that the faith is spread, so that God's kingdom grows. And also, he does this so diligently because he wants to be a part of it. He wants to be in paradise with Christ. He's not just doing this as he's going through the motions. He's not just doing this for a paycheck. He's doing this to be with Christ and so that you could be with Christ. I mean, again, the sports analogy here, think about it. One superstar can bring up an entire team. He can be surrounded by bad players. Not always, but it can happen. That the superstar is so good that the whole team ends up winning, even though without him they wouldn't have. By your hard work, by your faithfulness, you can help others get this prize of the gospel and of paradise. There is no such thing as superstardom within the Christian church. But by your hard work, by your diligence, and by your discipline, you share the gospel with others and you get to invite them. They get to become a part of the team because there's not there at the end of this there is not a limited prize. There's no cap here. It's not just one team can win the prize. It's open. The prize is right there for anyone who will believe. It's a wonderful gift that the Lord gives to us. So hopefully that can be a wonderful conversation together as a family as we look forward to the gifts of Christ.